Let's pray together as we look into God's word. Lord, we want to thank you and praise you for your word to us today. Lord, we ask that you would speak into our hearts and into our lives. This important message today that you, you want us to hear. Lord, we love your word because your word brings not just life into us, but teaches us how to live for you. So speak to us, we pray. Give us ears to hear and a heart that is open to receive, not from me, but directly from you. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. What did we speak about last week? Anybody remember? Okay. Being born again, where's that found? John chapter 3, great. In John chapter 3, you remember when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Nicodemus comes and, and says to Jesus, you know, um, starts talking to him. We know you're a teacher and you know everything. And here's Nicodemus that reached the pinnacle of the religious life. He, he is a, a man of religion like par excellence. And Jesus points his finger at him and says, you know what, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to start again. You got to the height of where you are, but there's, there's nothing above you, but you're actually on the wrong track. You need to start all again, but on this time, on the right track, you need to be born again. And we looked at that last week about what that really means for us, to be born again. But then Jesus kind of continues on from there, and he says, you know what? And the Bible continues on, and he says, you're not just got to be born again, but once you are born again, you have to make sure that you stay born again. At the one o'clock service last week, the Lord spoke to me and said, don't do the sermon you did at the 11. I mean, do it on the same thing, but you know what happens when we're born again? Is so often we revert back into being like Nicodemus. Yes, God gives us that freedom and that new life, but, and we start off on the journey of being born again, but we behave so often as though we're religious rather than free. You know what I understand? You understand what I mean? Let me tell you what I mean. When you're free, God says, you know what, you're free in Jesus Christ. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you freedom in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. You're born again, you're on a new start. But what happens is that we, so often with our, our heart and our eyes, we start acting as though we're living under law. We look at people and we start judging them and putting them into boxes. David, you didn't iron your shirt today. But why didn't you do that? Like, I don't, I don't like this and I, I don't like that. And we, and we start putting people into little boxes. You know what? You, you're not so much of a Christian. You sing songs on a Sunday, but on a Wednesday I see what you do. I, I don't like this lifestyle that you're choosing and, and so I'm going to label you. And instead of seeing people as children of God and as brothers and sisters in Christ, we see them in the boxes that we produce for them. That's Nicodemus. And Jesus said, don't do that. 
Don't, don't lose the born againness by going over to the law again. The law's been dealt with on the cross. You're free in Christ. But we need to maintain that freedom. And today I want to look at one of the key ways that we maintain the freedom, which is through obedience. The Bible, right from Genesis to Revelation, speaks about the importance of obedience to Jesus Christ. He said, John chapter 15, the vine and the branches. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, then you're going to go and bear much fruit. If you do what I ask you to do, if you're obedient to me, then the blessing will follow. But if you're disobedient to me, what's going to happen? I'm going to cut you off and burn you up, throw you away. You're rubbish. You're useless to me. Jesus constantly said that we need to remain obedient to Christ, obedient to him. Obedience to God is critical if we want to remain born again, if we want to remain in the fruit and the blessing of God, we need to remain obedient. Today I want to look at someone who had everything and lost it, threw it away, and I want us to learn from what this guy did so that we might do the opposite. Learn from his mistakes. You know, there's two people you should learn from in life. The really good and the really bad. Mediocrity, don't learn from that. That's no good at all. You learn from the really good because they're role models for you. And you go, you know what, I want to be like so-and-so. I see, I see things within them. I see lifestyles. I see things that I, I can copy that. I can, I can follow that. And I can learn from that for myself. Or you learn from the really bad, the th people that have messed it up, and you think, you know what, I'm, I'm definitely not going to make that same mistake that they made. I'm not going to go there. Because I know if I go there, I'm going to end up in the same place where they were. Let's look at today. I mentioned John 15. Jesus said this, vine and the branches, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves. How do we do that? He says, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus' mission was to do the will of the Father, to be obedient to everything the Father said to him. And Jesus, as he did that, he called you as the as the perfect example to say, you know what? Just as I have done everything the Father asked me, now I'm asking you to do the same. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, what? If you do what I command. You see how it's all about obedience, obedience to Christ, obedience to what he's asking you to do. If we're obedient to him, we remain in his love. If we're obedient to him, we remain his friends. If we're obedient to him, we're going to receive and bear much fruit. 
Obedience is critical to a fruitful life. Let's look in the Old Testament at the person I want to look at, which is Saul. Now in Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, this is what happens. Kish, who's Saul's father, has some donkeys that go missing. They just go walk about somewhere or the other. And Kish says to his son Saul, he says, Saul, my donkeys have just wandered off somewhere. They got out of the field or whatever and they, they've disappeared. Go find my donkeys. And so Saul sets out with his servant to go find his father's donkeys. And he goes around and he can't find them anywhere. He's going around. Anybody seen any stray donkeys around? And he's wandering all over the place trying to find these donkeys. Can't find them anywhere. Nobody's seen them at all. And finally, he comes to a place near to where Samuel, Samuel, remember Samuel is the, is the kind of the, the, the last of the judges, the, the wise man of God. And his servant says, hey, Saul, we're near where Samuel lives. Why don't we go and ask Samuel? And they, they go over to Samuel and they say, Samuel, we're, we're here, we're looking for the donkeys. Have you got any words from the Lord to where these donkeys might be? And Samuel looks at Saul and God speaks to Samuel and says to Samuel, this is the man that's going to be the king of Israel. Now the people, as we remember after the book of Judges, they didn't have a king in those days. And so every time they kind of messed up, God would raise up a judge, like a, a, a local ruler, who would come and unite the people and they would go and, you know, receive the, uh, the freedom from the Philistines or the Amorites or whoever was attacking them when they cry out to God. And then what would happen in the cycle of the judges was that they would say, thank you, Lord, we promise we'll follow you. And then the generation went by and then they would turn away from God and another enemy would come and start attacking and God would raise up another judge. And so this cycle goes on and on and on. And finally, Samuel comes on the scene. And he says these words to Saul, these prophetic words. He says to Saul, he says, you're going to be the king of Israel and I'm going to anoint you as king. But he says, go down ahead of me to Gilgal and I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But look at this last bit. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and then I'm going to tell you what you've got to do. And then I want to skip a couple of chapters. You can read it later at home if you want. And pick it up in, in chapter 13. It says this, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash in the, and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah in Benjamin. Jonathan's his son. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. 
The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth, Beth Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in the pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops who were with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter, so he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin. And Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Obedience is critical. Now, the first thing we notice about this is that your obedience to God will always, always be tested. From Genesis right through the pages of the Scripture, God tests or tests come to your obedience. Adam and Eve, you can live in the garden, you can walk with me in the cool of the night, just don't eat the apple from one tree. You can eat anything else, but just not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that tree. There's a test. There's always a test. And so you need to prepare yourself for the battle that's going to come with temptation. We are involved in a battle, whether you like it or not. So don't be surprised When God asks you to do something, that you're going to be tested. Your obedience to God will be tested. It's going to happen every single time. When God wants you to do something, the enemy doesn't want you to do it. Because the enemy doesn't want the blessing to come in your life. The enemy enemy doesn't want the blessing to flow through you into the lives of others. And so temptation will come. Testing will come. Difficulty and hardship will come your way. You need to be prepared. Be ready. What does the word say in the book of Ephesians chapter 6? Put on the armor of God. Why? Because testing is going to come. The word says, get ready for the testing by putting on the armor of God. And we did the whole series about what the armor of God is. Do you remember? It's on the website if you need to remind yourself. Put on the full armor of God 
Prepare yourself. Because when God asks you to do something, testing, temptation, difficulty, hardship will come. It's guaranteed. So don't be surprised. Saul knew that there was going to be trouble. So in verses 1 and 2, what does he do? Well, he dismisses all the army, but he keeps 3,000 as a standing army. So everybody else in Israel, all the men were kind of like the reserves. They could be called up at any moment if there was need. But he kept 3,000 men from Israel as a standing army because he knew as a king that there would be battles that needed to be fought. He knew that there would be problems on the borders. He knew that there were things that needed to happen, so he was ready. He was prepared. He knew, so he got ready. And it's the same with you and me. We need to be ready. We need to have spiritual eyes that are open and a heart that is open, that is ready to to recognize the battles when they come. So often I hear from believers that are they're in the battle and they're, they're shocked that the battle and the hardship is coming in their life. And I'm thinking like, why? Why are we surprised? I would almost guarantee you this week, after we have discussed about being obedient, there'll be an opportunity for you to be obedient to God or to be disobedient. The number of times where I preach a message on something on a Sunday and that following week something happens to test the message in me. I'm like, God, like, why would you do this? Why would you allow this to happen? I want to see if you're a man of integrity. I want to see if you're a man who will do what you've been telling other people to do. I will guarantee something will happen this week that will test my obedience to God. Be ready. Every morning, Lord, I'm putting on the full armor of God. As I put my clothes on, as I get out the shower and I get dressed, I'm going to wrap myself in the armor of God as I wrap myself in my clothes. I'm ready for the battle if it comes today. Saul was ready. He was a wise king. He was a king where God said, I'm going to pour my spirit upon you. You know, in the beginning, Saul in those two, three chapters from 10 to 13, he goes up and he meets guys and he starts prophesying for the Lord because the spirit of God, the word says, was upon Saul. He was doing amazing things for God. He was ready. We need to be ready too. Get ready. Prepare yourself. And recognize that when you fight, the enemy will fight back. The enemy doesn't like it when we are fighting for God. When we are ready, when we have the full armor of God. Why? Because that passage says, for your battle is not against flesh and blood but against the principalities, against the rulers and authorities of this dark age. When you start to fight, when you put on the armor of God and you say, I'm ready, the enemy will start to fight back. What happens in the word here? 
Jonathan attacked the Philistines at the outpost of Geba. Now, Geba was a place that was supposed to be in the land of Israel. But the Philistines had attacked it and overtaken it. So Jonathan went out to get back the land that was theirs. He wasn't going into Philistine territory. He was going back into Israel's territory and trying to reclaim the land that was part of the people of Israel that God had given to them, that the Philistines had taken. And what happened? Well, first of all, it was Jonathan. It should have been Saul that attacked. But everybody ascribed it to Saul. don't quite understand how, but they did. Jonathan does the work. Saul is still at Gilgal, but he gets all the credit. And people say, Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now what happens? Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. You see, while Israel just, well, they took that, we'll leave them alone, we won't do anything, then the Philistines weren't worried about it. If, if you're there not living for Jesus Christ, if you're there not, not being obedient, if you're there just going through your life, keeping your head down, not doing what God is asking you to do, then the enemy is not going to attack you. The enemy doesn't need to attack anybody who's, who's inert for God. The enemy will attack those who are being obedient where the blessing is flowing. Because the enemy says, I want that blessing to stop. I don't want that blessing to be flowing into their lives or into the lives of others. That's who I'm going to attack. And just as when Jonathan attacked the Philistine to reclaim the land that was rightfully part of Israel, that's when the Philistines said, you know what? Now we're going to deal with you. You're a stench to us. I wonder in my own life, in your life, do you think you're a stench to the enemy? Is your life so living in accordance with the will of God in obedience to God, that the enemy looks at you and says, man, that, that's somebody that really smells in my nostrils. I need to deal with them. I need to pull them down. Remember the story of Job? Job was upright, was righteous, and the enemy couldn't stand it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this man. Anybody who is following the Lord Jesus Christ, who's being obedient to Christ, you'll be a stench to the enemy. Expect the battles to come. It was true for Israel and it's true in a spiritual sense for us as well. And so Saul summoned all the people to Gilgal. But then we see in this passage why sometimes we give in and we become disobedient. None of us want to be disobedient, do we? I mean, two-year-olds, yes. You just love it, don't you? When you're two, three, you just want to be a rebel. But when you get older, no, we want the blessing to be flowing in our life. We're not, we're not sitting here and go, hey, let me be disobedient for God. But things happen in our lives and we find that we end up disobedient just like Saul was before we even realize it sometimes. Let's learn from what happened with Saul. The first thing that we see in this passage is that the problems around us sometimes 
seem overwhelming. Look what happens. Verse 5, the Philistines assembled to fight. Now, how many soldiers did Israel have? 3,000. How many do we see the Philistines have? Well, there are 3,000 chariots with 6,000 charioteers, so that's double the number. And then soldiers, that's just the people with the horses and the chariots, then soldiers behind that as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and Saul's got 3,000 people. And he's going, my goodness, we're outnumbered. And where are the Philistines camping? They're camping at Michmash. Now, if you look back in verse 2, that's where Saul was in verse 2. So he's already lost ground because the enemy is camping in the same place that he was just three verses before. And there, the Philistines with their full army turn up. And Saul is going, my goodness, this is overwhelming. We have 3,000 people. They've got thousands upon thousands upon thousands in their army. What are we going to do? And the odds are overwhelming. Sometimes we get overwhelmed. Our problems seem so overwhelming and we, we switch off our sight off, off of God. And what happens is that we try and figure out a way out of our difficulty and we get desperate. Have you ever been in that situation where you've been so desperate? This problem is just, I don't know what to do about it, Lord. I don't know how to fix it, so I'm going to deal with it myself. I'm going, to, I'm going to try. There's got to be a way out. I've got to find a way out. There must be a way out. And so we just take matters into our own hands. Sometimes we run. Sometimes we, we do other things. The biggest danger is that we compromise. I'll figure it. I'll sort it out. And we become disobedient. It's an overwhelming situation. Sometimes we, we become disobedient because everybody around us is being negative and disobedient. And we get drawn in with peer pressure into what they're doing. Verse 6 and 7, what happens? The Israelites, the army, see that their situation is critical. And so what do they do? Well, they start running away. Some hid in rocks, in, in caves, some in thickets, some some in cisterns, down wells and pits, they just run away. So, some cross over the Jordan, they go, go I'm going to just keep running until I feel safe. And so Saul is there and he's seeing his army, his small army of 3,000, just gradually reducing and reducing because all these people are running away. What are we going to do? And sometimes we get into situations where People around us, David, just quit. David, uh, just leave. You have been, you know, when you go into a hard time, you really find out who your friends are. When you're really going through a tough time in life, have you been there when you've drawn on what you thought were your friends and they just, they don't want to know? You've been there? I've been there. People that you thought were friends 
with you. But when it actually comes to the crunch time, they, yeah, yeah, I'll get back to you. Yeah, yeah, I hope, hope, hope it works out for you. But actually, they won't come alongside you. They won't, they won't stand with you in this. They run away. They're, they're really good friends during the good times in life. Hey, we used to go party. We used to have a good time with you. But I, I, my life's too hectic. I, I can't be with you in this. Like I've got enough problems on my own. I don't need your problems as well. And they run away. And they leave you alone. It's where you find out where true friendship really is. I know a couple just gone through a divorce. Live in a small, small village in England. They found out who their real friends are. It was a messy thing and broke up. Some sided with her, some sided with him. People they thought were friends are no longer friends. A lot of people just, I don't want to know anymore. I don't want to get in the middle of this mess in your life. Just leave me alone. You find out who really is going to stick with you and not judge you through those times. But say, you know what? I'm with you. I'll journey. I'll keep on journeying with you like I have been before. I'm with you in the mountaintops. I'm with you in the green pastures, but I'm with you in the valleys. And Saul, what did he find? He saw his people, his, the people that he was there to rule, the people that had asked God to bring me a ruler. And when, when the ruler came, they said, yeah, this is the guy. This is the one that we're going to follow. And then when the going got tough, they ran away. And sometimes when that happens, again, it's hard to stay obedient to God. When everybody is deserting us, when everybody around us is giving us the wrong kind of advice, is telling us to do the wrong thing, is saying, you better do what I say, otherwise I'm not going to stay as your friend. Sometimes we give in. Maybe the hardest of all is this. I don't know why God's timing is not my timing. I'm a wise guy. You know, God, why can't you work to my agenda? Why can't you answer my prayers in the time that I want you to answer them? Why can't you fix the problems that I have and the challenges I have? Why can't you fix them well ahead of when I need them fixed? Wouldn't that be great? Why, why, God, do you leave it to the last moment? Why, why do I have to wait? Why did Saul have to wait seven days? He waited. The time set by Samuel. He said, I'm going to wait the seven days, but then Samuel didn't come. And so what did he do? He took matters into his own hands. And how many times in our lives have we done the same thing? God, I need an answer now, but if you're not going to answer me, if you don't meet my deadline, then I'm going to have to do with this myself. I'll, I'll get it done. I'll, I'll, I'll sort it out. I'll do this. Instead of trusting and saying, God, 
your timing is always right. Your timing is perfect. If, if Saul had just waited, waited another few hours, waited another few moments, his life story would have been so different. But he couldn't wait. And so often, we ask God, God, get me out of this mess. This, the battle's going on around me and I need release. I, wanna, I need victory through this. How long have I got to wait? And instead of waiting for the Lord, we take matters into our own hands, just like Saul did. And we say, Lord, if you're not going to answer me, then I'll have to do it myself. And we become disobedient. We step outside of our role, outside of what God is calling us to do and to be. We start doing things, crossing the line in a way that we shouldn't. Saul had all three of these issues. The problem was overwhelming. They were there. The Philistines were right on their doorstep. Everybody around him started leaving and God wasn't even showing up through Samuel. Nothing was going right. And he yielded to those fears. And when we yield to fears, it results so often in disobedience and a loss of blessing. God said, I will bless Saul. Here's Here's the one I'm going to bless. Here's the, the leader of the people of Israel. I've heard your cry. I'm going to pour out my blessing. My spirit is upon him. But in this and in what comes next, he threw it all away. What about you and me? We've been born again. But sometimes we throw that away. So how do we overcome those fears? How do we remain obedient? Well, we do the opposite of what Saul did. When our problems seem overwhelming, remember this. Firstly, God loves you. That you are special to God. That God says, I'm going to have you in the palm of my hand. I'm never going to let you go. I love you. And nothing, nothing is impossible for God. You know, when things seem overwhelming and we start looking at taking them into our own hands, what are we really saying? We're saying, God, I don't know if you can handle this. I'm going to do it myself. When God says, you know what? Nothing is impossible for him. And because he loves you, because you're special, because he cherishes you. He said, I'm going to open the storehouses of heaven and give you everything that you need. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. And nothing's impossible for me. When everyone's being negative around you, when everybody's giving you the wrong advice, what do you do? Well, firstly, know that God will never, ever leave you. 
I have commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid because I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. Deuteronomy 31.6 that Joshua repeats in Joshua 1.9. God is always with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, he says. Even if everybody leaves you, if everybody departs from your side, all your friends scatter. God says, I'm never going to leave, ever. I am with you. Even when you leave me like the prodigal, I'm like the father that's going to wait for you to come back. And when you come back, there's going to be a party. I won't ever leave you. Never forget that. And he said, I'm going to give you my peace. When people around us leave us, when they give us a hard time, when they, when they walk away, when they say things that are unkind and unjust, it's in those moments that you need the peace of God. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. It's those that you cry out and you say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I know you will never leave me, but Lord, I need your peace right now. Because it's unsettling when people leave. It's unsettling when people that you relied on, when, when people that were around you, when people who you thought you could trust walk out on you. In those moments, ask God for his peace. Lord, give me an extra portion of your peace. Let me know that I'm still connected to the vine. Let me know that I'm still walking in your way. Let me know that I'm still flowing with your blessing. Give me your peace. Lord, I need your peace today. And God's timing, when you think you're running out of time, remember that you need to trust in God's time. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, he says, the Lord, he appoints the time. God has it all written out. God knows what's going to happen. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He sees the whole of your journey before him. And his timing is perfect for you. He leaves things to the last moment to teach us and to train us and to help us to, to trust in him more. But he will never leave you without an answer. He will never leave you stranded. He will never just abandon you. And you find that his timing and his way is never there. He always opens a way. Trust in the timing of God. If you stay in obedience to him, he will provide a way through. My rod, my staff are there to comfort you, to lead you. There is always a way. Trust in his timing. Because he is the Lord of time. Acts 17. He appoints time. He is the one who has set the days and the years, the months, the hours. He is Lord over time. He knows what he's doing. Trust. Trust and obey. 
For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Saul messed up. What do we do when we mess up? Because each one of us, God will give us this opportunity. There'll be times of testing and and we have an opportunity to hang on to the, the promises of God and the word of God, the timing of God, the presence of God, the peace of God. But there are times in our lives when we make mistakes. When we say, God, I think I need to do this on my own because nothing seems to be working. You don't seem to be providing the answers I need. So I'm going to have to deal with this myself. And we step out of line. What do we do when we make those mistakes? Well, don't do what Saul did. You see, Saul's sin was not what we've just been talking about. It was this. What does he do? Samuel comes and he says, what have you done? He said, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling a Mi'kmaq, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. What's he doing? He's what? Taking matters into his own hands. What else? He's not waiting. What else is he doing? He's justifying himself. Do you remember when you were young? Younger. You remember when you got in trouble with your parents? What did you do? It's not me. It was my brother. It's always my brother. My brother's fault. He's two years older than me. He's way more mature. He should have known better. It's his fault, mum. It's his fault. What did my brother do? It's David's fault. It's always David's fault. Why? Because it's never my fault. It's always their fault. Lord, it's your fault. You didn't come on time. Lord, it's your fault because these so-called friends that you gave me, they're all leaving me now. Lord, it's your fault. What did Adam do and Eve do in the garden? It's not my fault. Adam said, it's the woman you... The woman you placed here, God. Not the woman that I wanted here. It's the woman you placed here. It's her fault. What did Eve do? It's not my fault. It's the snake's fault. And so it carries on. What do we do? It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's never my fault. Because Lord, you know how holy and righteous and upright I really am. Lord, you know everything about me and you know it's never my fault. Because I have wings and a halo. It's never me, Lord. This is Saul's problem. You remember David? When David slept with Bathsheba, became pregnant, murdered her husband, Uzziah. Nathan came and said, let me tell you a story, David. And David goes, oh my goodness, that's me. What did David say? Do you remember? He said, I have sinned against God. And he said, Lord, whatever the punishment, I'll take it. 
You see why David is called a man after God's own heart? He's a man after God's own heart, not because he's perfect. Not because he was any more obedient to God than Saul was, or disobedient. But he recognized when he'd messed up and said, Lord, forgive me. And the Lord gave David another chance, and another chance, and another chance. What did Saul do? Not my fault, it's Tim's fault. It's not Tim's fault, it's Jenny's fault. It's not Jenny's fault, it's Mike's fault. It's Joan's fault. It's Mike's fault. It's everybody's fault. It's never my fault. Do you know people like that? Mm Mm-hmm. But this is the problem. When we mess up, when we become disobedient, put your hand in the air and say, Lord, you know everything. This is ridiculous, isn't it? Because the Lord looks into your heart. The Lord, above anybody else, knows who fault it really is. Because he sees your heart, he sees your thoughts, he sees everything. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my lips, you know it, oh Lord. He knows everything. So when you mess up, Lord, I've done it again. I'm sorry. And grace in those moments says, my son, my daughter, you're forgiven. You have a new start. The problem with Saul was that he never came to that moment until it was way too late. And then he was trying to manipulate God. To say, Lord, I'm sorry. If Saul had said to Samuel, Lord, I'm so sorry. I've messed up. Forgive me. It would have been a different story. But what happened was that over and over again, Saul did the same thing. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Don't do that. Samuel said, you've done a foolish thing. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established, he would have established your kingdom for all time. The consequences for Saul were immense. Because of that hardened heart that tried to blame everybody else. If we mess up, ask God for forgiveness. And if we mess up, ask him for a new beginning. Another opportunity to be obedient. As children of God, God asks us of one thing, and that's obedience to him. He says, do what I'm asking you to do. Live how I want you to live. Stay connected to the vine so that the fruit will come. You don't have to produce fruit. A tree doesn't... Stand there, the apple on the tree doesn't kind of go, now I need to work really hard to produce great apples. The tree just produces the apples. The strawberries produce strawberries, you know. 
Things just produce what they're, they're destined and designed to produce. And you and me, as children of God, are designed to produce fruit. God's church is designed to produce fruit. If we're not producing fruit, look to see where you're being disobedient. Because fruit is natural when you're in walking with the Lord. And wherever you may be disobedient, if you are, or if we are as a people of God here, we fall on our knees and we say, Lord, forgive me. I'm not going to blame anyone else. I'm not going to point my finger at anyone else. There may be a thousand reasons why I've messed up. Lord, forgive me. And the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you, who adores you, who died for you and for me so that we might bear much fruit for our Heavenly Father will come and say, my son, my daughter, forgiveness is yours. Let's go and bear much fruit for his glory. Let us pray. Lord Saul could have had it all. He had a reign of 40 plus years. But there was no peace. There was no peace in the kingdom. There was no peace in his heart. Because he was disobedient to you. There was no blessing for the people. There was no blessing for him. Because he was disobedient. It was just hardship after hardship after hardship. Lord, you have called us to be born again, to be free, to be full of blessing for ourselves, but more so through us for others, for the Father's glory. Forgive us when we mess up. Lord, today we acknowledge it's my fault. I can choose. You've given me that freedom to choose between obedience and disobedience. Thank you for the times that I've been obedient to you. And I experience the blessing in my life. Lord, forgive me when I'm disobedient. And the blessing stops to flow. Cleanse me. Forgive me and allow that fruit to flow again for your honor and glory. 